Hello, this is Richard Russell, and welcome to Creativity and Composition, the Business of Composition. First, I want to thank all of you for listening. I've had some good positive feedback from my first podcast, and it is very much appreciated. If you've got something you'd like to share, please head over to my website at rdrussell.com. That's r-d-r-u-s-s-e-l-l.com. There, you can send me an email, and I do encourage you to do so. Okay, on with the show. Today, I'd like to talk about uh, copyright. Let me start by saying I'm not a lawyer or a copyright expert, so please take all of this with a grain of salt. But... I have attended a couple of different workshops for composers and creative types, and one thing that seems to cause massive confusion always is the issue of copyright. In fact, uh, questions and concerns about copyright have frequently stopped the conference dead. Now, I have every belief that copyright should be respected, and I don't advocate stealing anyone else's creative work. If someone is holding their copyright and uh, uh, indeed is making a living off of their intellectual property, I do say you should respect that. But I'm here to talk to you, the composer, just getting started out, to ask whether or not concerns about copyright aren't getting in the way of your progress. It's something to think about. Think about your favorite uh, current living composer. Maybe it's uh, somebody like Bright Sheng, who uh, has won one of those uh, MacArthur Genius Grants. Uh, Charles Warren, Paul Maravac, uh, they both have won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, how many scores do you own by these living composers? How many different recordings are available by these composers? Can you go into uh, any large record store and find uh, six or seven different uh, recordings of the same piece by one of these composers, uh, you know, to get different interpretations, different conductors or different uh, uh, soloists who are interpreting the piece a little bit differently? Even somebody who's a really big everyday name like Wynton Marsalis has uh, done some composition. And, uh, well, have you ever seen any of his sheet music anywhere? Maybe there's a few composers out there you've heard of. Uh, maybe you read an interesting review and it sounded fascinating, but you aren't really sure if you want to know more and invest a lot of money into their uh, CDs. Uh, so you go into a store and browse their sheet music. But, you know, where can you do that? Um, these composers uh, have their uh, music sort of hidden behind a wall, don't they? Back in 1991, John Carigliano premiered a new opera, The Ghosts of Versailles. It was big news all over the place. It got lots of media attention. It was uh, at the Metropolitan Opera. Now, I wasn't living in New York at the time, but I remember watching it on uh, PBS. I remember I enjoyed it pretty much. I thought, that's, uh, that's not an opera like anything I've ever seen before. And so it uh, really kind of tickled my fancy. And uh, over the intervening years, I'd sort of forgotten about that opera. You know, it got tucked away back in the recesses of my mind. But uh, I was recently approached with the idea of writing some music for a project that involved a haunted house. And that brought to mind right away that uh, opera, The Ghost of Versailles. How had uh, Carigliano integrated all of those ghosts of the past into this house? What was his idea of ghostly music? 
So, you know, I just figured I had to watch that opera again. I, I just had to get into it. And uh, with my new uh, uh, adult way of looking at music and composition, I'm sure I would get a lot more out of it that I didn't get way back in 1991. And also in today's uh, newfangled era of DVDs, I was pretty sure I'd be able to get a, a really high-quality presentation of the opera. Well, you can probably guess where I'm going with this. Uh, nada. I couldn't find anything. I can't find a copy of the opera on DVD, on videotape even. It's, it's not available on a CD or a record. And therein lies the problem. Whoever owns the copyright for Carigliano's project probably doesn't feel there's enough economic incentive to release this. Uh, the opera is regarded not as a, as a work of art, but as something to be marketed. And right now, there isn't enough of a market. Uh, there's a not-so-old saying, information wants to be free. Does art want to be free? Should anyone own Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata? Or shouldn't it be freely available to all of those who want to know that piece? And, you know, I'm willing to pay uh, to experience John Carigliano's opera, The Ghost of Versailles. Um, I'd, I'd put down uh, 30 or 40 bucks to, uh, to watch that DVD, or at least rent it, or even buy a copy of the music, but it just simply isn't available. Now, you might think Carigliano has an envious career, uh, he's won a Pulitzer Prize. He earns really huge commissions for his music, and he's a published composer, and he makes a living being a composer. But it's a bit sad, I think, to have your great grand opera locked away behind the walls of copyright. In another 10 or 25 or 30 years, some adventurous opera director will certainly rediscover the ghost of Versailles. But for now, it kind of sits on a shelf, tucked away in the back of our minds, and uh, a little bit forgotten. And that's a sad thing. Even a composer as broadly known and regarded as Bartok is too recent. His music is still protected by copyright. You can't find a very cheap edition of his string quartets, for instance. I paid nearly $80 for my copy. Uh, my Beethoven string quartets uh, sheet music, I own a Dover edition that costs 14 bucks. $80, $14. Uh, when they talk about classical music being an elitist and expensive art, they aren't kidding. Uh, I think copyright may have something to do with that, though. And this is to say nothing of performance. Uh, leaving aside the issue of audience tastes and artistic considerations, have you ever thought that perhaps Beethoven and Mozart are scheduled more frequently than someone like John Adams purely because they are in the public domain? So what does all this have to do with you? Simply this. Don't be so concerned about copyright when you're just getting started. I'm not saying we should do away with copyright altogether. And yes, you should clearly mark all of your music with your copyright. And yes, I'd love to make a living with my music, but for now, I have a little donation button on my website. Feel free to donate a dollar or two or, you know, 50. Uh, anything would be great. Okay, back to copyright. If you are especially paranoid... You can register your copyright with the Library of Congress, although please do know that if you uh, mark your music with your copyright, you do own your own copyright even if it's not registered. Don't get too hung up on this. Uh, should you freely distribute your music all over the place? Only you can answer that for sure uh, within your own comfort zone. But for now, you want to build up your resume of performances, get to know lots of performers and venues, uh, be excited about your music, get presenters interested in your music, get your name noticed, and most of all, have your music be heard. 
Each little success should build up to yet another big success. Okay, that will wrap up this show on copyright, a big, huge subject. Uh, disagree, agree with me, got something you want to share with me about all this? Uh, you can email me through my website, rdrussell.com, two S's and two L's, r-d-r-u-s-s-e-l-l.com. Let me know what's on your composing mind. Until next time, this is Richard Russell saying, keep creating. 